Amen. I was I was sharing with the team that um, uh, I I had started to write a sermon about worry, and as I began to study and I began to write, the the sermon turned into a whole series, and so that's we're going to start today. We're going to start a new series on worry. I find that people in the church worry more than people in the world. And so we're going to deal with our worry today. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to start at two verses, verse 6 and 7. If you do not have your Bibles, we will definitely have it on the monitors. Philippians chapter 4, verses... Six and seven. When you get it, please say, I got it. Oh, that's a week. I got it. Lord have mercy. If you're still turning, say, hold up. All right. Philippians is in our Bible. (laughs) Amen. Once you get to the New Testament, you're going to get through uh, Corinthians. You're going to get through Galatians, Ephesians. And the next book is Philippians. If you get the first Timothy, you're gone too far. All right. When you get it, please say, I got it. All right, that's a lot better. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. I'm going to be reading today from the New King James Version. And this is what it says. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and minds through Christ Jesus. Many of us today have a mental monster crawling in our heads. And this monster's name is Wary. Where's Wary at? Wary is everywhere. Wary is taking over people today. Now, People worry about a lot of stuff. People worry about their personal issues. People worry about their health issues. People worry about their financial issues. People worry about their family issues. People worry about social issues. And the list goes on and on and on. My mission today is to show you how not to have worry worry you. Uh, Worry has an alias. Worry, uh, she has another name. Her other name is anxiety. Mm -hmm. That's why the scripture tells us, be anxious for nothing. And so, 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 so let's talk about worry and what worry really means, the definition of worry. Worry is a person, place, thing, or idea that controls your life, your thinking, and your functioning. Let me tell you one more time. Worry is a person, place, think, or idea that controls your life, your thinking, and your functioning. Now, there's, there's a difference between worry and concern. Now, here's concern. Now, concern... It's different than worry because concern, you control, but worry controls you. 
And so let me show you a couple things up here that, that some people are concerned about. Uh-huh. Yeah, the, the bills. See, see, some people are concerned about their bills. Show me something else. Uh-huh, the doctors. Your health. Some people are concerned about their health or the health of their loved ones that they're concerned. And show me one. We're concerned about our future. And so what happens after a while is that concern comes in. So let's, let's see us interact with concern. Well, I know these bills are coming through again. Here's, here's the uh, BGE. Oh, Cat One. Did I pay Cat One last? No, I didn't pay last month either. I, I think I should work on that Capital One. Oh, I can't mess with Geico. I don't have any insurance. I can't get to work. I, I, I got to pay Geico on time. Yeah, I'm going to make sure I... Oh, no. Oh, the doctor's report. I see it came in the mail today. I'm a little concerned. And so this is us. And all these concerns are legitimate. So let me tell you what a concern is. A concern is a person, place, thing, or idea that needs to be addressed. But after a while, if we don't deal with the concerns, the concerns grow. And then concern turns into worry. Now, let me talk about the difference because, see, again, as long as they're concerned, you control concern. You control it. You can think about it or not think about it. You can, you can address it or not. But what happens after a while, church, if we don't deal with our concerns, then our concerns will then morph into worry. So let's see what happens when it becomes worry. What is wrong with you? Don't you see we got all these bills piling up? Now, now, let me tell you what happens. See, worry pushed concern out the way. See, what was used to be a concern is now a worry. Worry is a bully. Worry is a dictator. See, see, let me tell you what worry does. Worry tells you when you can sleep. Worry tells you what to drink and what not to drink. And how much to drink. Worry tells you you need medication to do this. And you need this. You need that. Worry dictates all those things to you. Worry has now taken over. But let me tell you about worry. See, worry don't like the party by himself. He has homeboys. And so let's see his first friend that worry brings in. Hey, all of those bills. 
I know you're, I know you're not making enough to cover it. <laughs> but you better not not for that job because you know everybody else is more qualified. Uh, and, 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 and I know you want to start that business, but you better not because you know how many businesses fail. Mm. And, and, and I know it's hard because you're by yourself, but you better not think about no relationship because you've been cheated on more times than that. <laughs> 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 and, and, and don't Jesus. open up that envelope because you know what your luck, you know what it's going to say. Mm. Let, let me do it yes. for you. Yes. Let me do it for you. <laughs> oh, stop playing. Oh, stop playing. I told you. So, 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 concern was there at first. Because we didn't deal with our concern, our concern has now turned into worry. Worry don't like the party by itself, so worry has now brought fear into the factor. But then fear and worry has another friend. And the last one that comes in is depression. Mm -hmm. See, depression is the aftermath of worry and fear. And this is what depression brings on. Depression brings on a mindset like I can't make it. Mm. That this, this is it for me. So it's easier for me to remove the problems by removing my life. Mm. It, it, it becomes so overwhelming. See, these three, they like to party together. And I'm going to tell you how they party. They party in your soul. See, understand your soul is your mind. And, and, and if, if they're going to go anywhere, they're going to come in your mind. And they, they, he, worry comes in first. Worry comes in, kicks concern out. Because understand that concern is, is, is there, but you control concern. Once you allow worry to come in, worry's now saying, you're not in control no more. I am. I'm in control, and when I take over, I'm bringing the worst that I have with me, my homeboys. And when, and when they come in, they come in like a flood. See, and they come so quick that you don't even realize that they're all there at the exact same time. Because now you're worried. Now you're fearful. You don't want to do anything. You, can't, you don't want to go nowhere because you have all this fear. And what that isolation brings on? Depression. So now you're, you're wrestling. You're wrestling in your soul. How, how, how do I deal with this? Understand that worry is nothing but concern on steroids. And, and what happens is we feed it. We feed them. We feed them by everything feeds it. Not just you, but when you watch TV, you will feed all three of these. When, when, when you don't go to God in prayer, you're feeding them. You're allowing them to grow in your heart, to grow in your soul. And so now you're dealing, you went from having concerns. Now you have fear, worry, and depression. And I'm going to tell you what worry is going to do with depression. Worry is going to tell depression, get stronger. Let, let's keep them medicated. Keep them doped up so, 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 so they can't function. And if I can't function, guess what? I'm not fulfilling God's purpose for my life. Because I'm just living from pill to pill, 
from drink to drink, from, from one puff to the next. That's what I exist to do. But in God's word, I'm going to show you something. Thank you, fear, worry, depression. That's why the song said farewell, goodbye, so long. Our scripture text taught us, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known. Now, anxiety brings on this anxiousness. That's exactly what it means. So the Bible says, be anxious for nothing. In other words, don't worry about nothing. How the Caribbean song said, every little ting will be all right. Don't worry about a ting. Every little ting's going to be all right. You have to believe that. Now, nothing means nothing. Okay? But our problem is, we, we say, the, the scripture said, be anxious for nothing. But we say, all right, I'll be anxious for nothing except these things. I'm going to hold on to these because I need to be worrying about these things. Listen, and we're without excuse. The scripture says be anxious for nothing. You know, we tell, we tell God, God, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm dealing with, God. You, so, so you can't say be anxious for nothing because I have to worry about this. I have to be concerned about this. And there's nothing wrong with concern. Paul was concerned for the churches. There's nothing wrong with concern because, again, you control that. But when you allow concern to grow to the point of worry, now you have lost control. Here's the thing about this. Notice that our text is not a, it's not a uh, request. It's a command. Be anxious for nothing. So it's not a suggestion, oh, if, if you feel like it, do this. No, it's telling us to not do it. And understand when we are allowing worry to take over, we're in rebellion. Mm-hmm. That's a harsh word for you, but let me just explain how, what I mean by that. The, if we believe that the Bible is the word of God, and if God's word is true, if God says don't do it in his word, if you do it, that is called rebellion. So if God says don't worry, and you're worrying about everything, you are in rebellion against the word of God. Take a, take a deep, nice gulp. You can swallow that pill. But you need to deal with that. Here's the reality where we are. Okay. So here's the thing. Our text is in the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians is a book talking about something called joy. Now, it's amazing to me that how this book is all about joy. When you look at 1 Corinthians, don't turn there. 1 Philippians 1.25 says this. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you for all the progress and joy of faith. Uh, Philippians 2.2 2 says, the fulfillment of my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being on one accord and one mind. Mm-hmm. Talking about joy. Paul is writing this and Paul is consumed with joy. Now, let me put this in the context because this is going to mess you up. Let me put this in context. How is Paul full of joy and where is Paul full of joy at? Let's go there together. Go to 1 Philippians. Go to chapter 1. And let's read verses 12 through 17. Philippians 1, 12 through 17. Let's look what he says here. He says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and all the rest that my chains are in Christ. 
And most of and most of the brethren in the Lord, having been confident of my by my chains, are more are now much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even through envy and strife, and some as of goodwill, from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed to defend the gospel. Paul is writing this letter, the book of Philippians, to the church of Philippi. He's writing this book about joy, but he's writing this book about joy from a prison cell. He's in prison telling somebody else, don't worry about it because there's something called joy. How can you be full of joy in a prison? How can you be full of joy writing from a prison cell? Paul did not know at this point if he was going to live or was he going to die. And he's writing, his church, he's writing this to the church of Philippi and he's also writing to the church of MGWC saying, hold on to your joy. Amen. You understand what's going on in our text. Paul got people on the outside. He's already in prison. He's still got haters on the outside hating on him. Trying to kill him. He has all this going on. However, he's still writing about Joy. Joy is a biblical term for celebration. Now, there's a difference between joy and happiness. And let me explain. Happiness is contingent upon something happening. And so happiness is all about circumstances. And so let me explain how that works. So, so, so if things happen that I like, then I'm happy. If things happen that I don't like, I'm not happy. Okay, and so if you only live by happiness, you will remain on an emotional roller coaster because that's what life will do. Some some days everything is good, so I'm happy. The next day everything is going wrong, so I'm so full of fear, I'm so full of doubt, and I'm worrying. So you cannot depend on happiness because happiness is contingent about something happening. And if Satan knows that you're depending on happiness, he's gonna make sure you're never happy. And so you have to make sure that I'm not depending on happiness. I'm depending on joy. Let me tell you, joy is an internal celebration. No matter what's going on externally, something on the inside of me. That's what joy is. And guess what? Nothing can break that shell. I don't care what's happening on the outside. I can still have joy. Let me, let, let me give you an example of this. This is how Paul can write in a, from a prison cell and still have joy because he didn't allow his exterior circumstances to, to mess with his internal joy. I remember, I don't do it no more because my kids are a little bit older, but I remember when they were younger, if they had to go to the doctors or go to the dentist, amen, I ain't going to talk about my dentist experience with my son because my struggle got real. That's a whole other story. But anyway, um, if you go to the doctors and your kid is sick, children's doctors have something very unique. They have toys in their waiting area. That's very purposeful because the purpose of that is to bring joy in their sickly state. So even though things are not good for them, especially when you take a kid, they got to get some shots. They don't like that. So the doctor distracts them by having toys to create joy on the inside of them. So even though I'm in this sickly state, I got something on the inside that's bringing me joy. And so that's what God wants us to have. He wants us to have joy so that we're not allowing the external to do this. So, so how do I get joy? How do I get joy? Let's do it this way. Turn to Philippians 4. Let's get back to 4. 
Let's read verse four. Philippians four, verse four. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Um, Paul is saying here, rejoice in the Lord always. And if you didn't hear me the first time, again, I say rejoice. Whenever you see something written twice in this very short uh, span of time, that means it has great importance. And so Paul is saying, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He didn't say rejoice in people. He didn't say rejoice in things, your cars, money, land. In the Lord. That's what he says, rejoice. Now, joy, let me show you something here. Let me get this. This is rejoice. So, if I want joy, understand that this is, this is rejoice. Rejoice is a celebration of God. So, the way that I get joy, you got to notice that in the word rejoice is the word joy. So if I want joy, I got to rejoice because joy is in rejoicing. And so, so, so people are looking for joy, but they don't want to rejoice. So the way you get joy is by rejoicing. They're inside of each other. And so, 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 so many times people say, I, I want the joy of the Lord, but yet you can't open up your mouth. <laughs> Uh-huh. You, you want the joy of the Lord to be your strength, but yet you can't give him glory. The two don't work. Listen, if you want this, you got to do this first. Because this is in this. So you got to reach inside of your rejoicing to grab the joy. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Let me, let me show you an example of somebody who rejoiced, even though their outside situation got real rough for them. Let's go to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 16. The same man who wrote this book, telling everybody to have joy, he had a struggle before this one. The book of Acts. Chapter 16. Let's start reading at verse 23. When you get it, say, I got it. All right. Put it up on the screen for me too. Acts 16, there it is. Verse 23. Look what it says. And when they had laid many stripes on them, this is talking about Paul and Silas, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened them by their feet by, at the stocks. But, somebody say but. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, and so the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately, all the doors were open, and everyone's chains was loose. Give me a moment to park there for a minute. Paul and Silas is in a situation where they did absolutely nothing wrong, and everybody's hating on them. The Bible teaches us in our text that they beat them. The Bible says they received many stripes. That means they took a whip and whipped these two boys. That wasn't enough. After they beat them half to death, they threw them in prison. But it wasn't just throwing them in prison. They got instructions for, to the jailer says, listen, we want them really secure. So the, the prison guard took them from a regular cell and put them in the dungeon of the prison. The Bible says they put them in the innermost part of the prison. So there's a dungeon. That's like solitary confinement. 
Put them down there in the basement where the rats and everything else were. Complete dark, dampness. It was rough down there. But the Bible says, but at midnight. See, Paul and Silas knew something about their God. They knew that worry ain't going to help me. Hey, oh, can I give you a sidebar? Worry don't need no cheerleaders. Let me explain what we do. We, we feed worry. We, we, we worry, worry. We become a cheerleader for worry. Worry don't need no help. But we cheer all worry and then wonder why worry is so dominant in our lives. If I come and ask you and talk to you, are you going to tell me about what you're worried about? Oh, I'm worried about this, I'm worried about that. Talk about the joy of the Lord is my strength. And so, so, so Paul and Silas, they realize, hey, look, you know what? We're in a rough spot. But we still have joy on the inside of us. The Bible says they prayed and they sang hymns to God. The hymns of God, guess what they were doing? Rejoicing. Listen, they were rejoicing and then the other prisoners, they didn't have a song in their heart. They just listened. Oh, they, can I give you another sidebar? See, understand your rejoice is going to help somebody else. See, they might not have a song yet, but they can listen to your song. And so you're helping them to develop their song. By you, by you singing your song, they're going to hear you sing. So they lit, all these prisoners listening to Paul and Silas just sing about the joy of the Lord. They, they listen to them sing about the goodness of God, even though they're in the innermost dungeon part of the prison. They're worse off than the people that's listening to them. Yet they begin to sing, and the Bible says that suddenly... Mm-hmm. Suddenly, because of their rejoicing, because of that, they're, they're lifting up God and said, you know what, God, we're not going to let our circumstances worry us to death. We're going to still give you the glory. The Bible says that immediately the, the, the prison shook. And listen, not just Paul and Silas, but everybody in the prison, chains was loosed. All because of their praise. So understand, your praise can loose your family. You know what you're praying about? Keep praising for them. It can help loosen their chains. And so, and, so, and so they was able to get free themselves, and not just them, but everybody in the prison got set free because they made a decision to rejoice. They reached inside of their rejoicing and found joy, and it set them free. Yeah, that's what Paul, happened to Paul and Silas. Now let me talk about the midnight, because understand what midnight represents. Midnight represents at your darkest hour. So in your darkest hour, can you rejoice? In your darkest hour, can you still have some of a praise inside of you and say, you know what, God, this is an in the midst praise. In the midst of my problem, in the midst of my circumstance, God, I'm still going to give you glory. Do we have an in the midst praise still in us? In the midst of my problems, God, understand in my darkest hour, I can still sing a hymn unto you. That's what Paul and Silas did. And because of that, they received their breakthrough. So number one is you have to rejoice in the Lord. Somebody say number two. While you're rejoicing, you have to also pray. Let's go back to chapter 4. Look at verse 6. Be anxious. I'm, I'm, I'm in Philippians. Philippians 4, 6. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known. So, so Luther, we was telling us here, prayer is a relation, relational communication to God. This is how we commune with God. We talk to God several ways, through our prayer life, through our praise and our worship. This is how we communicate with God. And so this is a way that we love on God and also to talk to him is through our prayer life. So every time you're prone to worry, it's time to pray. Yeah. Amen. Amen, lights and walls. Amen. See, 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 the more I'm worrying, the more I should be praying. But we do the reverse. The more I worry, the, least, the less I pray. 
because worry has consumed me. I can't talk to God right now. I'm, I'm mad at God because he got me in this situation. And he won't help me out of it, so, so I ain't talking to God. So, so, so understand what the Bible is teaching. It says, in everything, in everything, I don't care what's going through, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. So let's talk about this because prayer is the blanket or the umbrella thing here. But there's two things I want to highlight here underneath prayer is supplication and with thanksgiving. Okay, so let's talk about that. Supplication means I need to be very specific in my prayer. So, so let, me, let, me, let me tell you what we do. We, we go to God like this. Most people pray like this. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. That, that, that's one of our, our prayers we do. Well, here's another prayer we, we, we do. Uh, bless this food we're about to receive, Father. Let it be nourished for our bodies in Jesus' name. Amen. I ain't nothing wrong with those prayers. But if that's the only part of your prayer life, your struggle's real. If there's only two prayers you can sum up inside of you, then you got a problem. You got to be able to talk to God. Now listen, I told you this before. Your prayer life, you ain't got to use no deep theological terms to pray to God. Just talk to him. Listen, God, here, here, here I am again, and my struggle's real. That's how I talk to God. I don't know about y'all. I talk to God just like I'm talking to y'all. Father, look, this is my need. So supplication means I got to be specific in my prayer. God, I need a breakthrough in my finances. You see these bills right here? I need help with this. This bg bill is $6,000, and I need $6,000. I'm very specific in my prayer. You know, you know what? That's the thing I don't understand about bg and Let me talk about them cats for a moment. Now, now, see, things that other people get away with, I do not get away with. People can have bills up to like $3,000. Let my $200 bill be one minute late. They, they ready to cut me off. How this person bill get to $6,000? All I owe you is $200. Get them first when you come to get me. Same thing, I know people who never have to go get an admissions test. Every car I got, I got to get an admissions test every year. Why y'all keep coming up to me? It's a whole bunch. Look at all these people in the state of Maryland. Go get them. My struggle be real. You know, but I still have joy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Still got joy. But with supplication, you got to be specific in your prayer, church. Stop praying these, these real general prayers. God bless my life. Amen. God saying how? So then when you do that real blanket prayer, God bless my life, and then when he bless you the way he want to bless you, now you're mad at him because he ain't blessed the way you want him to bless him. You're saying God bless my life so he give you perfect health, but you need help in your finances. And so you come to God, God, I want you to bless me. No, no, you said just bless you. I did. But I got to be specific. And he, that's what the Bible says. Make your request known. Whatever I need, God, I'm coming to you with this particular need, very specific, BG&E. I need help with this, God. I'm not going to pray those general prayers, God, if it's your will, bless my life. If it wasn't his will, we wouldn't have 66 books talking about blessings. He wants to bless you. Like, stop praying those, those, those supposed to be humble prayers. God, if it's your will, heal my body. Why did Jesus get 39 stripes on the back if he didn't want you to be healed? 
But that's not praying. Be specific. It says in supplication with thanksgiving. And they ain't talking about turkey. Thanksgiving. Understand that when I want something from God, I got to bring something to him. See, that's the problem in the modern day church. We want, we got, we are, we're, remember that sermon I did? You, you ungrateful receivers. Ungrateful receivers. God bless you like he woke you up this morning and you come into his house and don't want to give him nothing. You, listen, most of you, people don't even want to pay, people don't want to, definitely don't want to pay their tithes and offering. They don't want to do that. But the least you can do is come in here and lift your hands. You can't offer God anything, but yet you want everything from him? You ungrateful receivers. Receive everything. Give me, give me, give me, give me. But when it's time to give, I, I ain't got nothing, God. You ungrateful receivers. So the Bible says I have to come with something. I have to come with my thanksgiving. So understand, this is something I already have. I got to bring with me into God's presence. That's why if you read the Old Testament, it says, enter his courts with thanksgiving. That means this is what I'm bringing with me. And enter his courts with my praise. So I bring this with me. This is mine. And God, when I come to see you, I'm coming with this. And see, the most of the problem is we think we're thanking God for our problem. That's not what we're thanking him for. We bring thanksgiving because we're inviting him into our problem. God, his, listen, I'm, I got, I'm, so you're going to be God now. You ain't the, you, you're God now, all right? And God, God ain't got no Glock, so let's close that up. He don't need it. Because his, it's his war and not carnal. Amen. So, so when I come before the presence of a holy God, I never come empty handed. Even in the natural, nobody ever goes before a king without offering him something. Even President Obama, when you go visit a president, you bring a gift. You know why? Because he's considered a, a high authority or a king is considered royalty. When, when, when President Obama went to go see king, uh, Queen Elizabeth, he brought a gift because she's considered royalty. You don't come before a king and don't bring him nothing. And so when I come in his presence, I have to bring my thanksgiving. And so I, I say, God, here's my thanksgiving. My struggle's real. I'm coming to you. Here's my offering. And in my thanksgiving is whatever I'm giving him. It could be my praise, my worship. All those things is embodied in my thanksgiving. So I've, I've offered him that. Before, before I ask for anything, I give him that first. Because he's worthy of that. Then after I love on him, then I say, all right, now, daddy, now listen. Here are my needs. And I'm going to be specific in my needs. And the Bible teaches me, let my requests be made known unto him. Don't be scared to go to God. Don't be afraid to go let him, let him know exactly what you need. And so when I come, I need to bring that. I can't just come empty-handed and say, God, bless my life, but I ain't got nothing for you. That's out of protocol. Amen. So, so let, me, let, me, let me give you an example of, of, of what happens when you have Thanksgiving. Jesus Christ had a problem one day. He had been preaching for a long time, and he had this crowd in front of him that was hungry. And, and his disciples came to him and said, listen, Jesus, these folk out here are hungry. Why don't you go ahead and send them home so they can get something to eat? Jesus said, no, nah, I'm going to feed them. Well, what we got? So we ain't got nothing. This little boy got his lunch, got a couple of sardines and a couple crackers. That's all we got. He said, that's enough. Bring it to me. Uh, th- that's a lesson right there within itself. 
See, what you don't have, what, 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 when you're looking at something that's not enough, you got to give it to him. He can make it more than enough. And see, we don't take, we don't take what we have and offer it to him so he can't do nothing with it. He can't multiply it because we never gave it to him. So you deal with it. It ain't enough. And so, so what Jesus did, he says, bring it to me. The Bible says he prayed, he gave thanksgiving, he gave thanks, and he prayed over it. So what he did, he prayed over his problem. Because the problem is, this is not enough. He prayed over his problem, and he prayed over, he gave thanks for not enough. Mm-hmm. I'm going to let that one marinate for a minute. He gave thanks for not having, for, for not enough, and then God says, you know what? He came to me in prayer. He came to me in Thanksgiving. I'm going to multiply that. We know the story. The Bible says there was 5,000 men, not including women and children. At least 20 to 25,000 people was fed from two fish and five barley loaves. All because he came in prayer. He was very specific with his prayer. God, I need you to multiply this. And he brought Thanksgiving to God. And because of those things, he received exactly what he believed God for. Paul is teaching us that whenever we're tempted to be anxious, we have to go to God in prayer, be specific, and bring out thanksgiving. And then he says, let your requests be made known unto him. Listen, again, we're not thanking God for the problem. We're thanking God that we're inviting him. We're thanking him because he's God and we know he can solve the problem. Now, let me give you another example. Go to, go to Daniel. I love this one. Go to the book of Daniel. I want to show you another example of a person who was in a struggle and they went to God in prayer and with thanksgiving and received a breakthrough. Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. I'm almost done. I'll get you all up out of here. Daniel chapter 6. Let's start reading at verse 1 and go down to verse 10. Daniel 1 I mean, Daniel 6, verse 1. Look what it says here. It says, It pleased Desaurus to set over the kingdom 120 set tribes. Now, these cats were, were like governors. They, they were like mayors, okay? And let's keep going. It says, And over the whole kingdom, and over them were three governors, of whom Daniel was one. That the satraps uh, made an account to them, and so they went to the king, so he would not suffer loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors because of his excellent spirit that was in him. And the king gave, the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and the satraps uh, sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But he could not find no charges or fault because he was faithful. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. And these men said, we shall not find any charge against Daniel unless we find it against concerning the law of his God. So the governors and the satraps uh, came to the, before the king and said to him, King Desaurus, he says, uh, live, live forever. For all the governors of the kingdom and the administrators and the counselors and the advisors have all counseled together to establish a royal status that affirm decree of which petitions that any God or any man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the lion's den. And so the king established a decree and signed it in writing so that uh, according to the law of the Mids and the Persians, that uh, they would be not be altered. Therefore, the king um, signed the decree, and then Daniel 
knew what the writing was. Look what he did. He went home. He went to his upper room with the window towards Jerusalem. He kneeled down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as a custom, as his custom since early days. Let me give me a moment to break down this story. Daniel was a Hebrew boy. Now he's, he's, he's under a king that's not from his land. He got promoted all the way up to being a governor. Now, all these 120 mayors underneath him, and he's one of the governors. The king knew that Daniel was so faithful. The king said, I'm going to put you in charge of everybody, even the other two governors. They start hating on him because he was getting promoted. And so what, what, what they did is, you know, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get some dirt on Daniel. Went to his past, tried to find dirt on him, couldn't find no dirt on him. Said, I know how we can get him. We're going to tell the king that we should make a decree in the land that nobody should worship anybody except the king for 30 days. And if anybody do, they'll be thrown in the lion's den. They knew because Daniel was going to be faithful to his God. And so, and so they plotted against Daniel. And, but look what Daniel did. He was outnumbered. He was on the verge of getting fired. And he's about to get killed for no reason by the thorn in the the lion's den. However, in the midst of all of that, he says, I'm still going to go to and pray to God and give thanks. How many of you going to do that? When they start hating on you, who do you go to? When, 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 When they're plotting against you on your job, who do you run to? Mm hmm. When, 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 when you're doing everything right and everybody around you is plotting against you, do you go to God in prayer and thanksgiving? Can you give thanks in the midst of your problem? Do you still have joy in the midst of your problem? Daniel, now let me talk about Daniel because the way the story ended, he ended up in the lion's den. They went to those lions, got good and hungry and threw him in there. But guess what? He walked out like, can I holler at your boy? Not a scar on him. And it's all because he started the right way. He went in there with his praise and with his thanksgiving. All right, uh, uh, let, let, let's get back to our text. Let's get back to Philippians 4. Look at verse 7. It says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and minds through Christ Jesus. So if, if, if I, after I pray, and after I give God, after I rejoice, and I have the joy of the Lord in my heart, then God says, I will share my peace with you. I'm going to share my peace with you. And the peace that I give you, listen, will protect you. Look what it says. It, says, it will guard your heart. That's protection. It will guard your heart and your thoughts. It will guard your mind. It will guard your heart. If you can do what God has called us to do. Now, the way you know you have peace is not that your problem is solved. The way you know peace, that you have peace, is that God is in the midst of your problem. Mm-hmm. See, see we, think, we think peace is that there is no storm. No, peace means I'm good in the middle of my storm. That's what peace is. You know, peace thinks there's an absence of war. No, that's not peace. Peace means that in the midst of a war, I'm still good. That's what peace is. And so, and so you know that, because that, that, your problem, listen, Daniel problem didn't get solved immediately. He still went in the lion's den, but yet he still had joy. He still had peace because the God of peace gave him peace to protect him. Okay, look at verse 8. I'm almost done. Verse 8. It says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true and whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are loving, 
And whatever things are good of a good report, if it is any virtue, and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. You know what that word meditate means? Think about it. See, meditate ain't just I gave it a thought and then I ain't thinking about it no more. Meditate means I'm, I'm, that thing is in, the, in my soul. I'm living on it all the time. Okay? He said, I want you to meditate on these things. And if you can meditate on these things, he says, I will keep you in perfect peace. If you keep your mind stayed on me. Okay? And so that means I got to dwell on these things. Our problem is that we only dwell on peace when there's the absence of, of war. And so, and so what we do is, if God's trying to give us joy, trying to give us peace, we'll dwell on it for a moment, but then we get easily distracted by our problems again, and then we're now we're worrying again, and so we're not meditating on peace, we're meditating on our worry. The only thing that's key, that we're consumed with is our worry, and so we wonder why we don't have peace. You gotta have peace because you gotta meditate on it. You gotta have that thing in your mind, like, you know what, I know what's going on around me, I, let me put my, my headphones on, and I'm gonna meditate on peace. I'm gonna listen to some gospel music, and get my mind right, and, and I'm gonna meditate on, what God, on God's word. Just start fishing through his word. And start, start going, reading these scriptures that's gonna sink down in your spirit, that's gonna encourage you. That's what we need to do. So many times we go, like, like, like you said, uh, uh, Chanel, we go to Facebook and vent, mm, I'm gonna type all this stuff, and then, and then, and then when you're feeling good again, then God is good. You sound double-minded. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So you can't, you can't, you can't quote scripture one post and then cussing and acting a fool the next post. One post, you're talking about the goodness of God. The next post, you're poking all the liquor you drank last night. Amen, lights and wall. You sound like a hypocrite. Which one? Which one is real? God or, or, or your problems? Okay? So, 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 so we got we to make sure that we're meditating on the right things and on the things of God. All right? Fine. Let's go to verse 9. I'm going to close with this one. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. Now, wait a minute here. Because this messed me up. Verse 7 says that we'll receive the peace of God. Now, in verse 9, he says, we also have the God of peace. So you get a double whammy. You get him and his peace. You get God, the God of peace, and God, the peace of God. But you got to follow the steps. First thing is, all right, I got, I got concerns. Don't allow my concerns get to the place of worry. And if I got worry and worry comes and he brings his homeboys, you know, depression and fear. Okay, so what am I do now? The way I get rid of them is I got to find joy. The way I find joy is in my rejoicing. So I begin to rejoice in the Lord. I begin to celebrate God even in the midst of my problem. And then I'd have this internal joy. Once I have this internal joy, then I say, all right, God, now I have your joy. Now I need to come before you and talk about my concerns. So I come to God first, bringing my thanksgiving. God, here's my offering to you. Now I'm going to be very specific, my supplication, very specific in my prayer. God, I need help in this manner. Even while you're still working on it, God, I still have joy. I still can rejoice and I'm good. Then I'm going to meditate on the things that's going to bring me joy. I'm going to meditate on his word. And if I can do that, then God's going to surround me with his peace. Once he surrounds me with his peace and I do this for a while, now I'm going to have the God of peace. It's going to be added to this thing. And now I'm really good because as long as he's there, fear can't stand there. See, light and darkness can't dwell in the same place. So once, once the light is turned on, darkness has to leave. 
And so, so once I bring God into the midst of my situation, that means worry has to go somewhere else. And so, so church, this is just the first, this is just last, this is just sermon one. I got, I got three more about worry. How are we, we going to deal with our worry? How are we going to overcome worry? The first step is we got to learn how to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So if we add all these things together, church, we could tell worry, farewell, goodbye, and so long. Come on, stand on your feet.